We are glad that you're here today. We're continuing a series in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to go ahead and start getting there. We're going to be starting chapter 3 today if you want to start heading that way. Um, But if you are new with this, let me kind of catch you up to speed so you understand what we're dropping into. And I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to the messages in this series in order if you can, just kind of catch up and fill in all the gaps. But James... Uh, is writing after you know Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, he returns to heaven. The church begins. God sends the Spirit, and uh, Christians are the the gospel is spreading all over the place. And there are Jewish believers. They are Jews who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. That have been spread out all over the place. And he writes this letter to those people that are spread out. Because in their, in their scattering, they have left much of what they understand, know, used to have. They've lost their wealth. They've lost their power, their prestige. They're trying to figure out how to be faithful. They're facing persecution. And he wants them to understand how they are supposed to continue to grow and mature in the face of all of this, how they're supposed to think about the world, how they're supposed to feel about the world and their life, and how they're supposed to behave. And so he's writing to people that he knows have already put their faith in Jesus. So their eternal salvation is not in question in this letter. He's, he's telling them to understand how to grow closer with God. It's important for you to understand that, that what we talk about in this series, this doesn't have to do with whether you have a relationship with God or not. Your behavior, your actions, your words can neither create a relationship with God nor sever your relationship with God. That is by faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ, and then God saves you by his grace. So you put your faith in Christ for salvation and what he did on the cross, and you become a child of God. But then the rest of your life, your your eternal salvation may be secure, but your life now is at stake with how you live and how you behave. Your relationship with God is at stake. So it really matters how we respond to all the pressure and persecution and all the stuff that's coming in around us. So he wants James desperately, like a a shepherd, like a, a pastoral heart, wants them to grow in maturity. So he says, you're facing all this persecution, and you need to make sure, and I'm just going to kind of summarize really really fast, Cliff Notes version of what we covered so far in the first couple chapters. But you're facing persecution, and what you need to do in order to have joy, and that just doesn't mean like situational happiness. That's a deep-seated confidence that we have. In order to have that, you need to ask God for wisdom. You need to ask him what you need to do, how you need to be thinking. And when you ask him for wisdom, he's going to give that to you. If you want to know how to respond and how to live, you've got to ask him, and he'll tell you. But then you have to take that. You need to receive that with, with meekness, with humility, and then you need to do it. You need to actually put it into practice in your life, which can be difficult. Because, I mean, who would hear from God and then just go and not do it? That's like He said that's like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and immediately walks away and forgets what he looks like. It's ridiculous. No, we need, if we're hearing from God, we need to hear from him, and then we need to do it. We need to put off all the temptations that would come to us, the wisdom that would come from the world, the temptations that would come to us from the world, the temptation for them to grab back at wealth that they once had, to grab back at prestige that they once had. Said, no, 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 no. You need to fight off all that worldly wisdom, receive the wisdom from God. You need to not do things in a human way anymore. You need to not judge people the way humans judge people. You need to not judge people based on their outward appearance. Remember he talked, uh, this wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago, where we talked about giving preferential treatment to somebody based on the way they look on the outside, because they were wealthy, or they're in nice clothes, or because they have power, or position, or they're a celebrity, or famous, or whatever. He said, no, no, no. And treating someone more poorly, and this is the real problem, treating someone poorly because they don't have those things, because you don't think that they can give anything back to you. No preferential treatment. 
So you've got to learn to look at people the way that God looks at people. And everyone is the same in God's eyes. We are sinners who need to be saved by Jesus Christ that he wants a relationship with, and he doesn't favor one person over another person. So we need to put off all of that worldly stuff. And then last week, he talked about the, the, the relationship of faith and works. Okay, so you say you have faith in God. You've asked for this wisdom. You're trying to put on his heart and mind. Okay, but if you, do, if you say you have faith, but you don't have actions to back it up, that faith is worthless. It's useless. It's hollow. It has no profit. And so we want our life to be profitable, not in a human sense, but in a spiritual sense. So he's laying all this out, and James does kind of move around a little bit here and there, and he has separate ideas in what he writes, but there is an overarching theme of what he's trying to get at. It's learning how to be like Christ, how to live like Christ, think like Christ, talk like Christ. And so this week, I know that in your groups, you talked about how to actually put that into practice. You said faith without works is dead. Well, what do these works look like? What should the profit of our life look like? And you, you fleshed that out in your groups this week. But as I was reading and preparing for this next section, when we get into James chapter 3, it became clear to me that one of the key things that James understands that we need to understand is that we're thinking about our works, we're thinking about our actions and our behaviors being consistent with our faith, that it actually, our works actually don't start with our hands or our feet. Our works start with our mouths. It's our mouths, the words that we say are actually our greatest works. And they will ultimately lead our hands and our feet as well. What we say matters. And it needs to be consistent with what we believe and truthful to what we believe. It, just like our works, he said, what does it profit if you say you have faith but you don't have works? Our words are supposed to have a profit. And our words do have a profit whether we like it or not. They have an effect they have an influence. So I want you to think about, think about this. If you can flip to the other side, of course, we're going to talk about today about our own words, okay? What we say. We're going to talk about what's coming out of our mouth. But I want you to flip over to the other side of the equation for a moment. And I want you to think about how powerful and how impactful words have been to you in your life. Think for a moment about some of the words that have been said to you in your life. The ones that had a huge impact on you. Sometimes those words were tremendously encouraging and positive. Maybe more often than not, those words were destructive in your life. What we say has power. What we say has influence. I had a friend, um, man, he life up, okay? He just absolutely blew his life up, built things, and they exploded on him. He was so driven and so, uh, so, to the, to, the, to the detriment of his character was driven. And his whole life, and he would tell you this, sometimes without telling you it, but he would tell you explicitly at times, his whole life's drive was built on proving his dad wrong. Because he grew up and his dad told him that he was worthless. He grew up and his dad told him that he was dumb, that he was never going to amount to anything. And those words that were spoken to him became a driving force in his life. And it ran him off the rails because he was so set on proving to his dad, who had told him these things, that his life was meaningful, that he was going to succeed. 
that he drove himself absolutely into the ground, took advantage of other people so he could prove his dad wrong. It's incredible how powerful words can be in our life. So I want you to think about the power that they've had in your life. And then we need to flip ourselves over to the other side of the equation today because we can't control the words that are said to us. But we can control the words that come out of our mouths. Or at least we would like to think that we can control the words that come out of our mouths. It doesn't always work that way. And if we're going to grow in maturity, we need to understand how important this is, how important what we say is. All right, so let's go to James chapter 3. All right, and today, instead of reading it all and then breaking it down, we're just going to go a little bit at a time. We're just going to work our way slowly through uh, the first part of James chapter 3. All right, for those of you that have it, uh, I encourage you to bring Bibles with you, whether that's on your device or, or um, in print form. Uh, but we do have it on the screens for those of you that prefer to read it there. Okay, James chapter 3. Uh, started at the very beginning. My brethren, and this, by the way, for James, this phrase, my brethren, indicates a, a, not a change of subject because he has an overall change of subject, but kind of a new idea, all right, like a, like a pause, okay? My brethren, and also uh, it's a term of endearment. He wants us to know he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. Okay, now he's not talking about being a middle school teacher, all right? If you feel passionate about doing that, we need teachers, go ahead and do that, all right? Uh, he is talking about teachers within the context of their Christian fellowship. He's talking about spiritual influence here. And he's saying, be very cautious. Be cautious about having authority or influence when it comes to the things of God. Because it will be judged more strictly. Now, this is an interesting thing to look back uh, historically for them because um, they would gather, their gatherings look different than ours, okay? And it's just a, it's a just, you know, style thing. It's just the way we do it. It's not right or wrong. It's just the, the you know, what you choose to do, but the method you choose. But uh, they would gather together in their meetings and they would read scripture and there would certainly be people who were prepared to speak about that scripture and people who are elders and other people in the church who would have influence in those gatherings. But in most of their gatherings, it was sort of like an open forum. People could say whatever they wanted to say. A, a total stranger who came in from out of town could stand up in one of their church meetings and share with the group. And so there was an opportunity within their churches to have influence and to be a teacher, even if you didn't have an official position within the church. So it was like, it was like an open floor. And this, this was... Um, this was a source of great encouragement because it allowed for a wide variety of, of ideas and thoughts and experiences to be shared. So there's, there's major good there. But it also opened things up for incorrect teachings or for people to grab at influence and power because they had a platform that they didn't have anywhere else. And all of a sudden they could come into this meeting and people and they could build for themselves a faction of people based on their charisma and their personality. They could gather for themselves followers of their teaching in a way that they couldn't anywhere else in their society. And so it could easily be a magnet for people who wanted to get, get that kind of power for selfish gain or selfish reasons. Or for people to speak up and say things that they that were wrong, that they may even have known were wrong. And he said, you have to be really, really careful. They had a platform here. And I, I really resonate with this because I feel like in today's culture for us, 
we have an environment unlike we've ever had before where anybody can gain a platform. I was, I was having this conversation uh, with a friend recently. We were talking about music, okay? A little bit of a music nerd. He's a little bit of a music nerd. And so we were talking about um, when music was better. Was music better in the uh, like 70s, and 60s, 70s, and 80s? Or is music better now, okay? Fun conversation to have. We can have that at another time. But one of the things that we got to in this conversation was, and some of you were thinking of other decades and other generations, but... Um, what we're, the conversation came down to this, that it is a totally different musical environment today than it was then. It used to be that in order for you to get distribution for your art and your music, for it to go out to the masses, it had to go through gatekeepers, producers, and executives at labels. The only way that your music was going to go out to the world is if somebody thumbs up you and signed you to a deal and then was willing to produce and then distribute your music. So you look back then and what we have is we just have a handful of really great groups. You know, there weren't that many bands. There weren't that many musicians that were famous or nationally known. And those groups were all really good, but those groups all had to pay their dues. They had to go through the right people. They had to get noticed by somebody, right? And so you've got really great music But there are a lot of musicians and a lot of talent that existed at the time that you never even heard of because they didn't know the right people and they weren't in the right place at the right time. They didn't have the opportunities in the paths and the roads to fame that these other bands had. So you've got a smaller pool of really good stuff. Well, fast forward to today, in the age of the internet, when anybody can create a YouTube account Anybody can create a TikTok channel. Anybody can get their music on Spotify or on Apple Music. And so anybody out there has an opportunity to get their music in front of the world and then let the market decide what's good and what's not, right? That's the idea. It's like, it's like a free market, like an open market of, of music and, and artists. And so what that means, I believe, now this is, you're going to see what my side of the argument is, but I believe it's allowed the really incredible, unbelievable talents and musicians that we have in the world to rise to the top because they've had opportunities that they never would have had before. So I actually think that music is better now. We can have that conversation later. Better now than it used to be. And I know that we all tie our, our what we think is the best to our own nostalgia, so let's be clear about that, all right? So I love 90s music. I, I understand it's terrible, okay? Yeah, I get that objectively, but subjectively, I love it. I think that the quality of music that we have today is far superior to anything that we've ever had before, and it's because those people have been able to rise to the top. But the flip side of that is that in order to find those people, you have to wade through a ton of garbage, Okay, some really bad music. You got to listen to some people that you're like, whoa, whoa, like you need a day job, friend. <laughs> like, like, this is not good. You shouldn't be doing this, right? So that open, what it's created is this huge, huge ocean of music as opposed to a small pond. And there's some really, really beautiful things within that ocean, but you have to be really good at filtering through the bad stuff to find the good stuff. Today, in, Christian, in the Christian faith, in the Christian world, we have very much an open market of ideas. Anybody can, can post something on Facebook. Anybody can start a blog. Anybody can start a church. Anybody can get their message out there. Anybody can market themselves. Anybody can put together cute little phrases and other things. And there's a lot of ideas out there. 
And ultimately, I think that's a good thing because I think it allows the truth to rise to the top for those who are looking for it. But it means that we have to be very, very careful. And I got to tell you, I had a whole soapbox thing that I was going to I was going to just plan to go off on some stuff today. And then I told Jess I was going to do that. And she just ignored me, which told me maybe it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> and then I was praying about it this morning and I felt like the spirit said, don't do it. So I'm going to listen to him and I'm not going to do it. But I'll just say that you had, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to try not to even a little bit do it. But you have to be very careful, very careful, because anybody can gain a platform. And just because they have a platform does not mean they're right. And just because they have a big platform does not mean that they're right either. You don't weigh people's opinions based on the number of followers they have or don't have. You weigh upon its consistency with Scripture. So you have to be able to build the discernment to filter through all of that and know what is true and good and properly motivated and for the glory of God versus the glory of man. These are things that we have to individually get good at. You say, how do I do that? There's so much out there. We, what we really have to do is we have to get really good at listening to the Spirit. And we got to get really good at reading and understanding the Bible. Because between, between the truth of Scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit, they will keep us from error. But without those two things, we are in a world of trouble because there is so much noise and so many competing ideas. We will easily get confused and distracted. We got to be really good at that. And that's on you. That's on you to understand who you can trust and who you can't trust, who's, what's consistent with Scripture and what isn't consistent with Scripture, because there are some really, really clever ideas out there that could confuse us. So we've got to get really, really good at listening to the Spirit. And then on the flip side of this, all right, there are lots of opportunities for you to have platforms in our world, in our culture. And how you use that platform is up to you. And you have to decide whether you are going to build your influence. And it might be an individual influence with someone. It might be a child that you're teaching, your kid, a niece or a nephew. It might be your job and people that you're teaching and influencing and instructing. He says, teacher, we might use the word influencer. It might be a social media thing where you're putting quotes or other things on Facebook or on Instagram or somewhere else out there. You're putting it out there for the world. Be very careful about how you teach. Be very careful about how you influence. Make sure it is motivated in the glory of God. Make sure it is rooted in the truth of Scripture and not in human wisdom, not in your own self-interest, vain conceit, selfish ambition. Make sure that it is pure. Be very careful. James says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, we know that those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we are forgiven of our sins. Our sins are not going to be levied against us and punished for that. We know that we will face judgment, though, and our, our good works will be rewarded, and our sinful works, works done in selfish ambition, will be burned up, and they will be considered loss. So those of us who teach 
And I have to take this really seriously standing here on Sundays. And you need to be careful of this in whatever platform you stand in. We will be held accountable for the words that we speak. That if I I stand here on stage and I tell you this is what you're supposed to be doing based on Scripture, then I myself need to walk that out. i got to practice what I preach. Because if I'm not practicing what I'm preaching, then there is no reward for me for that preaching. That there will be, we will be judged for that ultimately. And I know for some people that can paralyze them. For some people that can be like, well, I don't want to get it wrong, so I just won't say anything. <laughs> I don't want to get it wrong. It can paralyze us. It can make us very, very anxious. But listen, James says, he says, we all stumble in many things. And the word stumble here, it's not, it's not, he's not using a word that means to intentionally deceive people. This is not like wickedness in our teaching. This is a, this is a slip. We all slip. We all stumble. Don't let it paralyze you, okay? We all slip. We all make mistakes. You know, I, I am sure that as I've taught over the years, I have said things that are wrong. Sorry about that, all right? Didn't, not on purpose, though. <laughs> not on purpose. It's just that we are all in a process of learning and growing, and we only know what we know. So I look back at things that I've taught in the past, and I'm like, oh, boy, I missed that one, you know? So, again, sorry about that. But look back and like, wow, I missed that one. But I wasn't doing it on purpose. Don't let, don't let the weight of this, this, this weight of teaching and carrying the banner for God and communicating God's word, which should weigh on our shoulders to some extent, but don't let it cripple you and paralyze you into not saying anything, because we will make mistakes. But it's because we are learners who are teaching, not knowers who are teaching. Okay? We're all on a journey. We're all in process and doing the best we can to influence for the glory of God. So think about that as you're doing it. We all stumble in many things. Okay, i got to skip all that because that's what I was going to say, and I'm not going to say anymore. All right, and we got to be very careful that we're not getting sucked into the culture around us. We're not getting sucked into the, 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 the prettiness, the slickness, the, the, all of that that can easily mask what is untrue from all these teachers and people that are around us, and we need to make sure that we're finding what's true and we're speaking what's true that faith is what begins, and then we ask for the wisdom of God to inform our minds and our hearts. It's playing out in the way that we behave and what we do, and it is informing and leading what is coming out of our mouth. And that the things that are coming out of our mouth are honoring and glorifying to God. All right, he goes on. He says, uh, the second part of verse 2, If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. Now he's saying that we're all going to stumble where none of us are going to be perfect. Christ was perfect, but we are not going to be. But it is still our goal. It is still our aim to get it 100% right, even though we may not. All right. But he's saying here, he's a perfect man. If you can control your words and your words can be 100% glorifying to God, that's going to lead everything else. Everything else is going to follow that. All right. Everything else will be consistent. He said, indeed, this is verse 3. We put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. I recently, by the way, went horseback riding for the first time since, like, middle school camp. Um, and it was terrifying, by the way. Um, it was terrifying in some way to be on the back of an animal that large, which is not a common thing to do uh, for, for some people. Um, I think about, like, Brian from our church who he's, like, does the bulls at the rodeo. He's the one who keeps them in the pen. I'm like, no thanks, man. Like, Brian can do that. Um, I was on the back. 
it was crazy to me. This thing was a monster. It could go wherever it wanted to go. <laughs> it could literally have done whatever it wanted to do, and there is not a single thing I could have done about it. Not a single thing. But I had these reins in my hands. And just by pulling and turning the horse's head, the horse went exactly where I wanted it to go. I mean, it's a mind-boggling experience. And James is saying that our words are like that. That our words are able to steer and move this enormous beast that is our life and influence all of it. He gives another example, verse 4. Look also at ships. Even though they're so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And our words, they are powerful. They steer everything. They really do. They are our greatest works. Um, my uh, oldest son, J.D., he's, uh, uh, he's 13 years old. He's 13 years old, yep. Um, he's in the uh, seventh grade. And um, they just read a book called The Book Thief. I don't know if you've ever read this book before, but it's set in um, the uh, time of World War II in Nazi Germany when the, with this young girl, and um, she's navigating everything as it's sort of unveiling, right? So like the, the whole... The thing in, in, in Germany where Hitler is rising to power and things are starting to turn and they're heading towards the world war and the Holocaust and all of these atrocities. And she is a young girl who's trying to navigate through this whole thing. And one of the themes of the book is how powerful words are. And one of the things that, that J.D.'s teacher uh, this week helped drive him down to was ultimately when you think about someone like Hitler who rose to such great power how did he get there? Well, it all began with his words. It all began with what he said and saying things that stirred up people that had those same thoughts, which eventually rose him into a power of authority. We had a military under him and all of this control, but ultimately he had nothing without his words. His words were the source of his power. And my understanding is that the girl in this book is to realize that the words are the source of her power as well, even under that reign. And so we need to understand how impactful this is. It's a tiny little rudder that steers the whole ship. Our mouth is a bit in the horse of a mouth, of, or the bit in the mouth of a horse. There you go. James said this earlier, if you remember this from chapter 1, verse 26. He said, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. That if our mouth is not consistent with what we believe, if what we say is not consistent with what we believe, we are lying to ourselves. And it's not going to have a good profit. It's worthless, useless. He gives another example, verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. It's small, but it's mighty. He says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Of course, that's hyperbole. He's not saying that's actually happened. He's just giving an example. Verse 8. 
but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. It's unruly, it's unstable, it's uncontrollable. Words just come out. Have you ever said something that you didn't mean <laughs> in the moment? That's what came out of you. And words, particularly destructive words, have a tremendous impact on us. Uh, you remember, uh, so at the beginning of the service, I said, start thinking about those words. Maybe you did. You started thinking about some things people said to you that were really, really encouraging, some things that were really, really devastating for you. I remember one time in particular for me, I'll just share you a little, uh, little uh, John in middle school story, okay? <laughs> I was in middle school, and um, I've never been, shall you say, a thin man, okay? Uh, I've always had a little extra meat on my bones, and that was particularly true in middle school. And um, our school went on a, a field trip, just a day trip to the local 4-H camp. And it was just a, I don't know, get out and get some energy out of these wild camps, I suppose. I don't think we really learned anything. But, uh, but it was just a fun day. And so the day was going great. Everything was awesome. And um, really having a good time with my friends. And uh, then at the end of the day, they had created this giant slip and slide, okay, which is too uh, proper a name for what they had actually done. It was a tarp on a hill, okay? It was a tarp on a hill with Dawn dish soap <laughs> and a hose. That's how we did it, right? And everybody was, uh, everybody was going down the slip and slide, and they were all having a really great time, okay? But me, little husky jeans John, all right. <laughs> Jonathan knows. Okay, so <laughs> Husky Jeans John is watching all of this, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because all the boys have taken their shirts off, and I don't want to do that. Okay? I'm embarrassed by that. I'm embarrassed. You know, I was an overweight kid and uh, very self-conscious about it, too. And um, so they were having such a good time. It was, come on, John. Everybody's telling me, come on, John, come, play, you know, come slide down the thing. And, and I was friends with lots of people. So they were like, you know, they were trying to get me in there. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And so I, so I bit the bullet, and I took my shirt off, you know, and, and I went down the slip and slide, and I had a blast. It was awesome. And when we got back that day, and my parents asked me, hey, that's all I could talk about was how incredible the slip and slide was. And I was so proud of myself for going out on a limb and doing that. It was incredible. And then we got to school. I think it was a Friday. We got to school the next week. And on Monday, we all got in, and we were all talking about the trip, and it was awesome, and it was incredible. And uh, we sat down in class, and the class said, hey, guys, we just want to, you know, review the trip and, and talk about how much fun it was. And little did I know, somebody had a camcorder at the trip and was taking video. And they took that video, and they put it up on the screen. And all oh, we're going about the day and all this, yeah, oh, this was so much fun and everything. And then it got to the slip and slide. And I saw myself go up to the top of the hill and come down that slip and slide. And then I heard someone from the back of the class, I don't even know who it was, heard someone from the back of the class say, look at those rolls. And I swear you could have packed me into a jewelry box. I shrunk up like, like I had, I wanted to just crawl completely inside of myself. It 
crushed me. And it was just a little thing somebody said, trying to be funny. But those words have stuck with me until this day. Anybody who questions whether words have power probably has never had anyone ever say anything to them. The tongue is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. And even in our innocent moments when we aren't careful, it can light a flame. And if that's true about someone's just their self-confidence in their body, how true is that when we think about the truth of God, the hope that we have in Him, the truth of His Scripture? We need to be very, very careful. Our words can build. Our words can destroy. King David, had, had, he had lots of ups and downs, but he had a moment where he was really struggling because people were questioning and challenging his faith. And he didn't know how to think about it, how to process it. And so he's working through it in Psalm chapter 42. And he says, Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief opposed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. Apparently it's not just sticks and stones. He said, their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior. When he was told a lie, he had to remind himself of the truth. Because those words are powerful. And listen, it's not just the tongue anymore. It's the type, too. It's the email. It's the text. It's the Facebook post. It's not just what comes out of here anymore. It's what comes out of here. And we need to be very careful that our words are consistent with God's Word, that our words are constructive, that our words are true, that they are helpful, that they are encouraging and not damaging. You might notice that James said in verse 8 that no man can tame the tongue, and that is true. Our hope is not just our, us controlling our words. No man can tame the tongue, but God can. God can transform us. And it's not just about what we say, it's about what comes from the inside out. It begins here. Him transforming our hearts making them consistent with Christ's. And then that comes out of our mouth. Then it comes out of our fingers. God can tame the tongue. Verse 9, James says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God or in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth both fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water 
and fresh. It's inconsistent. If we're asking for the wisdom of God and allowing God to transform us, then what comes out of our mouths and out of our fingers should be consistent with that. If we say that we want to be like Jesus and we truly do want to be like Jesus, then our words should match that. What we say about people, what we say about situations, what we say about God. You expect it to be something. You know, and if we say we're a Christian and people know that around us, then our words must match up with that. We must be consistent, authentic. You know, I, wor- I once heard somebody say that, uh, that we are like a tube of toothpaste. A little visual for you, maybe this will help. We are like a tube of toothpaste. And when the pressure is on, when it gets squeezed, when you get squeezed, what's on the inside comes out. That our words are evidence of what is existing in our hearts, like a tube of toothpaste. And what James is basically getting at is that if we say we have faith and we get squeezed, it should be faith, truth, love, joy is what should come out of our mouths, right? But what if we grabbed a tooth, a tube of toothpaste, we went to brush our teeth, and we're expecting blue minty goodness, and instead mustard. <laughs> it's mustard. You want to brush your teeth with mustard? Is that what's supposed to be in this tube? It's not what's supposed to be in this tube. So you can imagine that people look at us and we say we're a Christian, but then we're talking hatefully about people. And they're like, wait a second. That's not minty fresh goodness. That's mustard. What's wrong? You're worried? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, well, I don't have anywhere to put this. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Oh, that's weird because there's still a little bit of toothpaste in that tube. <laughs> so that's a little. It doesn't taste right. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting though. <laughs> It doesn't taste right. So this is the point. <laughs> this is the point. If we say we have faith and we've asked God for wisdom and he's transforming our lives and transforming our actions, but then the words that we speak are not consistent with what he's doing in our life, it doesn't taste right. It's <laughs> still got it. It's, it's, it's supposed to be minty fresh goodness. And I don't mean just all happiness all the time because because when I talk about there being positive, constructive profit for your words, that doesn't mean everything being rainbows and, and bubble gum and candy corns and unicorns, okay? It means that the words that come out of our mouth are consistent with godly principles. So they may be challenging at times. They may be direct at times. But they are constructive in light of what our, our faith is, okay? And sometimes the flowery, praise, encouraging words are actually destructive because they're encouraging us in the wrong thing. So it's making sure it's consistent with the truth and principles of God, okay? And it should taste right when it comes out. It, my friends, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. It 
ought not to be so. There's some of my favorite words when James puts it that way. It's not right. Shouldn't be like that. Okay? Supposed to be the things of God that come out. Galatians, Paul tells us in Galatians that it's the the fruit of the Spirit, our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that the Spirit is transforming us that should be welling up and coming out of our mouths. We're told in Proverbs, a word of wisdom, verse 16, or chapter 16, Proverbs 16, verse 24, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. I remember um, that same year that that person said that thing about me in class. I was feeling really pretty bad about myself just because that one little comment. And I was hanging out at my house and playing basketball. We had a basketball hoop in the garage, and I was playing basketball in the garage. It's a whole situation. And um, there were some boys from school that came down the street. They were just all kind of walking in a group, and they saw me playing in the garage. And so they came into the garage, and we were playing a little bit. And... um, and these were not guys that I hung out with. These were guys that were like, you know, athletes and stuff, and I wasn't. And um, so, but we were still hanging out. And um, finally, they, you know, finished playing basketball, and they left and um, uh, closed the garage door. And as they were walking around, I heard a couple of the guys who were, um, who were basically making, not making fun of me in a real mean way, but like, like, who is that kid? He, you know, he's not part of our group or whatever. I don't remember exactly what they said. Um, but I remember very specifically J.T. Finnick, I'll never forget his name, um, J.T. Finnick, who was one of the cool kids, was walking away and said, yeah, but guys, he's pretty good at football. That's all I heard. And it's crazy. Today, for me, it was like, oh, you know, like, J.T. Finnick thinks I'm good at football. Like, for me, that's so silly. But, but I still remember that. I'm 40 years old, people, and I remember him saying that, and it meant the world to me. Just a little phrase like like that. The positive, encouraging words that you share are just as powerful and can be just as powerful as the negative ones that we share as well. So if, again, having to do with just your own, you know, sense of positivity, if it's that powerful in that way, how much more so when you look at someone and you say, you can do this, God is going to support you through this, he will walk, it won't be easy, but he will walk with you, and I believe that you are strong enough with the power of the Spirit to get through what you're facing. Encouraging words like that. To look at someone and say, no, I know you're questioning yourself. You know God loves you and he has saved you and he has forgiven you and you don't have to question that. How powerful could that be in someone's life when you're sharing it with them? It truly are powerful. Again in Proverbs it says, some people make cutting marks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Deceit fills hearts that are plotting evil. Joy fills hearts that are planning peace. Our words are a verbal demonstration of our faith. And so we need to think very carefully about even the little comments. The little comment about somebody in traffic. The way you speak about your ex Okay. The way you type and write about social situations in our culture. The posts that you make that share a scripture and what you're really saying with that passage as you post it or what people may read as you post it. How you encourage someone who's going through a difficult time 
And your words have the opportunity to build them up and move them closer into a relationship with God or to draw them away into human wisdom. Think very, very carefully about your words because they are powerful. A mature believer is going to demonstrate their faith in both word and in deed. In both word and in deed. Your words say something. And that's really where God wants to do the work. He wants to do the work in your heart. That will then flow out and transform the way that you speak. So I want us to do a little self-assessment time. Hopefully you've been doing that all the way through. But sometimes we have areas in this where we're erring and we don't realize we are and we need the Spirit to show that and put a highlight on that for us. And maybe he's been doing that throughout today's time. And I want to take a moment to pray. As we pray, we're going to express to God how much we love him. We want to follow him and we want him to transform us. We're also going to ask him to put a, put a spotlight to highlight in our life where our words may not be matching up with our faith. Or maybe for a little while we just need to zip it as he transforms us, okay, shut it down for a little while until we're ready to speak in a way that is consistent with him and his word, okay? Let's pray. God, I just want to say, uh, first of all, that we love you. We love you. You are incredible. You are the author of all creation. You are powerful and you are all-knowing. You are kind and you are wise. You are just. You're merciful and you're gracious. And in your grace and mercy, you made a way for us to become your children through your son. Because we couldn't be good enough, we couldn't earn our way to you, you gave your son Jesus and he died on the cross in our place. And so we thank you for that today. And those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we reaffirm that in this moment. Maybe there's someone who's believing that and saying that for the first time today. They believe that Jesus died on the cross for them and he rose again on the third day. And so God, I ask right now that as we stand here in view of your power, in view of your love and in view of your mercy, our desire, God, is to walk more closely with you, for you to transform us from the inside out, to transform our character and our heart. And so we're asking for your wisdom. We're asking for the leadership of the Spirit. We're asking for you to, to enlighten us to Scripture so that we can understand how you want to do that. And as our hearts are transformed, God, we want that to flow out into words that are encouraging and true, that are constructive for your kingdom. Words that stand the test of time, words that build people up into a relationship with you instead of drawing them back away from you. Words that affirm what we know about the value of each person in your eyes. And that the, that the true heart of a person is more important than what's on the outside. So don't let our words follow the pattern of the world building up those who are in the world's eyes better off and demeaning those who are not. Don't let us devalue people or devalue your word. Let us not be angry or spiteful, jealous. Stop those words from coming out of our mouth. God, we don't want both blessing and cursing to come out of our mouth. We want to be consistent and authentic. 
We want the tone of our life, the words of our life, what we say, what we type. We want it to be consistent with you, honoring to you, glorifying to you, to draw all men and women to greater faith in you. So right now, God, I ask for all of us in the room that you would put a spotlight on our heart, on our words. Where have I said something that's out of character? Where have I typed something that isn't true or is destructive or damaging? God, we know that we make mistakes. Our, our goal is to walk more closely with you. So even when we err, we know that there's grace. God, show us where we need to work on this, where we need to correct on this and what we need to do. Help us to be honest about this and to build accountability with people around us that'll help keep us on track so that we don't fall back into the same old patterns, the same old patterns of thinking, the same old patterns of feeling, the same old patterns of speaking. And that together we can walk in a closer relationship with you. So God, today we ask that you would continue to transform us so that our lives can bring you the honor and glory that we want and that you want. And we want you to know that we're trusting you as we do that. Thank you for continuing to teach us through your word and the leadership of the Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.